All right, welcome to your Lord's World Cup 2022 post-race show supported by Maxxis Tyres. Maxxis is synonymous with performance and racing and has won more than any other brand in the history of World Cup and EWS racing. No matter where or how you ride, Maxxis has the tyres for you with a huge range of tread patterns, casing and compound options to choose from. Being supported by Maxxis is allowing me to get to four rounds of the World Cup and World Champs this season, so I'm going to be up at the next round in Fort William in May to bring you the best and most in-depth racing coverage possible, along with the usual crew of Chris Kilmurray, Nika Mullally and Elliot Jackson. Maxxis are also going to be giving away some awesome stuff throughout the season, and for these first couple of races, you've got a chance to win some very special Minion 20th Anniversary socks and gloves. All you need to do is to share the episodes in some way on Instagram, and make sure that you tag me at Downtime Podcast and at Maxxis Bike in the story so we can pick a winner. You can check out the entire range of Maxxis tyres over at maxxis.com and find the tyres at your local Maxxis dealer too. You can also give them a follow on Instagram where they're at Maxxis Bike. If you'd like to be even more invested in the race season, then I've created a fantasy DH league for downtime listeners over on Pinkbike. It's free to join and there'll be some downtime podcast merch for the winner at the end of the season and maybe a few other nice prizes if I can pick some stuff up along the way. Head over to pinkbike.com, click on fantasy DH in the menu bar and create your team. Once you have it, click join league and you'll find us near the top of the list. There's no password required, so it's super easy to do and it'd be ace to see you there. A massive congratulations to Will224, whose team of Amory, Finn, Antoine Roge, Taylor Vernon, Miriam and Agnes Delist is currently in top spot with 723 points. I'm languishing at a dismal 488th place, so come on, join the league and smash me into oblivion. All right, the first round took place in Lords this weekend and it was an incredible season opener, a wild track great conditions and some seriously committed riding from the world's best. It's time to dig into the detail and find out what went on with Nico Malali and Elliot Jackson. Okay, we are back. Elliot, we'll start with you. It's been a long time since I've seen your smiling face. How are you doing? Oh man, I'm, I'm so good. I, I didn't realize how much I miss the races, like just being there and, and Lords actually felt like a season finale. Like it, it felt like a continuation from Snowshoe. Like so many fans there. It was great to see everyone. I I didn't get in until Thursday, so I missed track walk. And then, um, yeah, I got to walk down the track on on Friday during practice. And the track was pretty the same, but it was taped different enough that it looked like it felt really different from 2017. Um, and I think one of the things that was most interesting to me was just the vibe of, um, you could actually see the progression of the sport where in 2017, like everyone was still on 27 fives, like not many people were running 20, 29s. Um, there weren't nearly as many fans. It was like totally different. I feel like we're in like the French era. So you had like so many fans there. Um, yeah, everyone, everyone has these like huge rigs, um Kaminsel has like 15 teams and yeah it's wild and canyon has a bunch of teams now too so yeah it was like good progression of sport good to be back got some commentary in uh it was great good Fun. times good times and nico first world cup on the new bike new team new everything there's a lot to delve into but yeah let's start off with the venue like elliot said first time we've been back since 2017 when Santa Cruz kind of shocked the world, bringing a 29er downhill bike to the party for the first time and the weather played havoc with the results track look certainly recognizable but with a few changes how was it from your perspective as a rider nico oh i thought the track was if if you look up 
downhill track in the dictionary, you'll see the Lord's downhill track. Like it was perfect. <laughs> it had a little bit of everything and was a true test of um, what a downhill race should be. So the weather, I think we got lucky with that. Like scheduling a race in the mountains in March is kind of risky. And they managed to slot it into like a one week window of really nice, sunny, warm weather. So um, it ended up being really perfect. And as Elliot said, the crowds were incredible. Um, it was it was really cool. I thought that it was a it was a perfect downhill race. Sweet. And what what were the kind of I guess crux sections of the track? Were there particular areas where a lot of people were puzzling, Elliot? Um, I feel like Nico would probably be better to to answer this, but it felt like one of the things that I saw was um, that it was pretty. A lot of the times on track, you have like a very different top than a very different bottom. And here there were like a lot of compressions at the top and the bottom was kind of more precise, kind of more rough. Um, but it seemed like no one really had like a big section. Like you could make up or lose time like all the way down the track where I, I thought like maybe a lot of the time would have been made up maybe in that middle section or maybe at the top. But it seemed like even at the very bottom, like it was a fun race to watch all the way to the very bottom. But in terms of like riding, um, yeah, Nico, I wonder what the like most difficult sections were. Yeah, it was interesting. The top was really rough, as you said, with those big compressions, but I don't think there was a lot of line choice there. So it was pretty straightforward. It was more like how you were timing those compressions to get, not be late and not jump them all to flat, but to like really work the bike to get it on the ground and keep your momentum through there. And then, the middle section, there was just so many line choices, just the way the course was taped. There was, um, they, they like marked it really well. Like sometimes courses do a bad job of like putting these bus stops in where it's like a little line off the track to divert it and make it interesting with, with ski poles. But these guys did it really well to where there was three or four different lines through a chicane section. Um, and riders were really having to think about what was going to be best. Um, a lot of it was on fresh grass or fresh dirt that lines were developing. The track was, was shifting around and there was just a lot to look at. Like on course walk, it took so long because there were so many sections that was like, man, there's like four different ways through here and how you hit this is going to affect the next section and, and how it links into that. So there was just a lot to look at, um, pretty much from like the midway to the bottom, just a lot of different lines. So that was pretty cool. Elliot? I, um, I wonder too, like it was funny on track walk day, it seemed like there was a lot of, like I kept saying it throughout the weekend where I was like, ah, it feels like there's a lot of like enticing lines, but you should really just like mainline with confidence. But here it, it almost felt opposite to where instead of the track getting like really figured out, it got less figured out. Like watching the replay, people are kind of doing a lot of different stuff. And you normally like kind of don't see that when you think of even like Leger, like last year when, you know, there were lines all over the place, but everyone did kind of do the same stuff. And here it felt like more lines came out as the weekend progressed. Like, was that, is that true, Nico or? I think so. And I think it has to do with the weather as well. Like the track was kind of developing and almost getting burnt into where it was tackier in some places. Um, a few spots got blown out a little bit, but I think it really was playing to each rider's strengths rather than 
you kind of just have to ride the line that's burnt in and, and running the fastest by race day. Um, that happens a lot, but on this track, if you were somebody who was better at essing through a section and hitting turns and carrying speed, then you could find a line that was good for you and catch support and carry speed out. Or if you were a guy who was better at riding off camber and straight lining stuff, you could find a line that worked well for you there too. So I think that was just really cool how, how each rider, if you watch the top five or 10 guys, they, they took different lines a lot through that middle section in the grass. And then even subtle things down towards the bottom that guys were doing high lines and set up lines, um, that they, you could kind of be at a different spot on the track, a lot of that lower section. So, um, yeah, just cool that you could see each riding style come out through their line choice. For sure. And let's talk a little bit about the uplift situation because it looked like it caused some serious issues for riders with a lack of practice. I was hearing people talking of over two hours queuing to get on the funicular to get up to the top. What was that? What, yeah, what was going on, Nico? Obviously, you were in the thick of that. Yeah, I, I don't know what the planning was that went into that, but maybe just more <laughs> riders than in the past. Like, I remember there being lines at this race. The funicular is basically like a, a train. Some places they have a gondola system like this where there's a counterweight, one at the top, one at the bottom. So basically every 15 minutes, one gets there, you can fit maybe 30 people on it, and then it goes back to the top. And then the top one comes to the bottom. So it wasn't very efficient, and it never was. But I think there was just so many more riders in junior now in, um, in the B practice that there was more riders than maybe they – anticipate it. I mean, they would have known how many were registered, but, um, it was really the overlap because there's like a mixed practice between B practice and a practice where there's like an hour or, or more where, where both groups are on the track at the same time. And the idea is like the B riders are up to speed and the A riders are taking their first run. So you don't have as much of a difference in speeds on the track at the same time at that moment. But with the uplift situation, it just overloaded it to where, B guys weren't getting enough practice. So then they, they kind of bled into our practice even further. And then our practice was, yeah, like, like Elliot said, over two hours, I think from the time I left my pit to the time I got back was two hours and 45 minutes for the first run. And I felt like my brain was fried for just sitting in that parking lot <laughs> in line for two hours and 30 minutes. Like it was, it was, uh, I mean, all the guys had to deal with that. Um, I felt like some of us that were like, didn't have time training because time training was top 60 and I was 61. So I missed about one spot, um, to my own <laughs> fault from not racing fast last year. But for us that didn't have the time practice, but didn't weren't in the, the first practice, it was like, we were really limited to the window we had. So it was almost like wait in line for in the beginning, like we said, two and a half hours. And then the next runs were like an hour and a half, but you would try to ride down the course as quick as you can and get jump back in line to get another spot. So it was just added another element to it <clears throat> that kind of, I felt like took a little bit away from the normal practice where you can take your time to learn the track and uh, get up to speed and not worry so much about fighting for your place in line. <laughs> yeah. I, it definitely seemed like that. Like you, yeah, because in, in years past, like I remember I remember it being a little bit like you couldn't it's not like you could go and get like 10 runs in like you could you can somewhere else like you're struggling to get four or five runs. 
um, which is actually pretty amazing to think about where you go into qualifying and qualifying can be run six or something like that. And you're going full speed. Um, but I think the other thing that was interesting to me about the race weekend is when I showed up on practice day, like I kind of walked around in the morning and everyone had this like amazing vibe, right? Like it's, you've been training, everyone thought the weather was going to be bad and, uh, everyone was super happy. But as the week went on, it was kind of like got more and more stressful. And I think that that situation with the lift really like ratcheted up on one, on one hand, it seemed like everyone kind of enjoyed hanging out with your friends or whatever. Like a lot of times you just be in your pit. Um, but it definitely was like more stressful. Like Nico was saying, you, you pretty much had to go from the bottom of the track back into line. Like you wouldn't even go to your pit almost like you had mechanics in, I saw, uh, Lori, his mechanic was like up there changing his tire, like in the middle of the line, um, which is, which is crazy. And I think the other thing to think about is, is part, a big part of the world cups is how good you are at your schedule. And so you get this skill of, you know, okay, Hey, I need to do this many runs. I'm going to come down. Maybe I'll watch some GoPro. I'm going to chill out. Maybe I'll have food at this point. And do this run and stop. And so you get this feel for how a world cup schedule works, uh, which is one of the big things that juniors and, you know, people who are like new to the circuit have to learn. And when you have a race like this, it like totally throws everything off. So it was just another kind of thing. I mean, obviously the best people still win, but it's just another element I feel like to world cup racing. Do you think that lack of practice, kind of goes against those that were on kind of relatively new setups, new bikes that they maybe hadn't had a huge amount of ride time on. There was a few people that switched the V5 Commensal and hadn't had a huge amount. I know that the Intense guys hadn't had a huge amount of time on the new bike. Do you think it was kind of harder for people that were still less familiar with the setup? I um, A lot of the people that I talked to didn't have a lot of time on their bikes. Um, I talked to like Jacob Dixon and he hadn't had a lot of time. A lot of the commensal riders like had just gotten on that V5 not too long ago. So I think this was like, it was a really early race and like the bike industry as a whole is like relatively late on everything. So I think it did, um, it did make everything a little bit tighter, but it's all, there's like all of these variables that always happen. And then you like get to the race and it's like, oh yeah, like so-and-so won, like same as last year or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. this person did well. So yeah, it's, it is kind of like throw all these variables into the mix. Um, and it still shows you like how much skill is involved. Definitely. Nico, you, uh, you know, you got your latest version of the frameworks bike, I think a week or so before that round. How did you go with getting it set up there? And how did you approach set up for that particular track? Because like you guys have both said, I think there's quite a lot of heavy compressions, which maybe drives you to a stiffer setup, but that's not always the winning formula, I guess. How did you approach it? Yeah, so I, I got over and was able to ride in Spain for two days before um, heading to Lourdes, which was really cool. I got on the time zone, got used to riding, got like acclimated over there and yeah, got this new bike that I had been... Um, kind of used all my knowledge from my first two prototypes to put into 
what I thought was going to be my, my best setup. And it worked really well. Like I was stoked on it the first two days riding it. I was really comfortable. The bike worked as I expected it to, as well as I could have hoped. Um, and then getting it to the world cup. Yeah. That track more than others, I think has some really big compressions on it. Some stuff that even if you time it right, like you're, you're from where you take off to where you hit the ground is, is a pretty big drop, like more than a one story building you're jumping off of (laughs) by the time you hit the ground. Um, so for me, I had to go more in on compression. I, I kind of knew a little bit what to expect from this track. So I started with a spring rate that I felt was going to be adequate. I was, I was like maybe a little stiffer than I wanted, maybe like 23% sag. Um, but then I, yeah, added by after, I mean, like Elliot said, I only ended up including my qualifying run doing six runs down the track. But, um, after the first day I added a, a volume spacer to my fork to kind of give it a little bit more ramp at the end stroke and then, um, added both low and high speed compression a little bit to keep my bike sitting up on those bigger hits. And I think with the dirt being good this weekend, like it was pretty dry, you weren't fighting for grip quite as much. So you could make your bike a little stiffer for those big hits and kind of get away with the grip a little bit. So, um, yeah, as I said, it's a good test of man and machine on this track. I thought it was, yeah, a really good bike that, or a good track that tests the bikes. Cool. Where did you go with uh, tire choice and kind of inserts, pressures and stuff like that? Because it's a pretty rough track. So a few tires ripped off in practice. I saw quite a few flat tires in practice. I luckily didn't have any issues. Um, I was I was running the DHR2s. Um, on the front, I had the, the 2.5 version, which is like the test pilot one that the teams have access to. So it's a little bit wider than the 2.4. I mean, I've tested them back to back and it's like two millimeters wider, which is seems like such a small thing, but as a rider, like that little bit of extra tire width, like you notice it. And it, I thought in the front, it played well because it made the tire a little rounder and added a little bit of volume to it. So it was, um, a little bit, I don't know, more turning grip, like side to side lean. Um, and maybe took a little bit of the vibrations out of the front end with a bigger volume tire. So I was running 24 in the front, 29 in the back. I had the FTD insert in the back. Um, and I thought the tire setup was good. I saw a lot of people running similar stuff like DHR twos front and rear was, was pretty common, probably most common this weekend. Um, at least for the Maxis guys, which is most of the people in the race. So, um, yeah, I think that tire setup played well with the conditions that we had. Cool. Elliot, you, uh, obviously spent a bit of time in and around the pits. I've got a new award for you to give out, uh, this year. That's the lit pit award. There was a few new rigs kicking around. Any, any thoughts? I, I think Pivot takes this one, actually. For I sure. thought you might say that. It looked impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, they got, a, they got a school bus um, and cut the top off, raised it up a foot or two, and you, you'll, you'll have to go on Bernard's, Bernard or Eddie's Instagram. Like the back is like, it's got this, almost looks like one of the party bus. Like it's got this neon light, everything's super nice inside of it. Super nice. Like they left the whole dashboard and everything, um, like solid, everything looks old, <laughs> like, like the school bus, the actually the, the, uh, stop sign is still there. 
Um, yeah, so that was sweet. That was really cool. Cool to see. Nice. And I spotted a, a couple of people over the weekend using cryotherapy guns for recovery, I think, in the pits, which is the first time I've seen that at a World Cup. Do either of you know anything about those? Do you, okay. Nico? What What's a cryotherapy gun? Sorry. <laughs> it's like, um, uh, it, I think it basically is using kind of like super cold gas of some sort. And it was being fired at people's muscles where they've got inflammation or hot spots. And at the time they're doing it, they're kind of measuring the temperature through a thermal imaging gun. And I guess bringing down like very localized muscle temperatures. I've never seen huh. anyone use it at a World Cup. And wow. I use it with horse racing. That's crazy. the first who time I've seen it at a World Cup. Who had that? Uh, Marine Cabaret definitely had one. And I'm sure I saw another rider post it as well. So that's something to look out for. It's a wow. new thing that I'd not seen before. That is really cool. That's cool. Yeah, they're getting getting thorough on the on the rehab. <laughs> cool. Well, let's um, let's quickly touch on the the qualifying story. So, a few big things came out of that, um, and I think that the main things were injury based, really. So, junior rider Isabella Yankova dislocated a finger in qualifying, I think, but went on to race. Amory Pieron unclipped off that final drop, I think, and had a heavy landing, so he was pretty much struggling to weight bear through his foot after qualies, which is incredible to to see what he went on to do. And then Nico, obviously yourself, also entering the week with uh, with an injury with the pinky. How was it? Talk us through kind of your quali um, for this race. Yeah, my run just was kind of sloppy. I put the pinky thing out of my mind. Obviously, in hindsight, it was never going to help me having a broken finger but it was, it was kind of a weird injury because it didn't hurt at all. I just didn't have really much strength in it. So I taped it to my other finger and just, uh, that's, that's kind of what I had to work with. So I was, that was like my, my zone that I was working in this weekend. And I didn't really think of it as like, Oh, such a hindrance. I just got on with doing the best I could. And, um, yeah, I just had kind of a messy run and I, I don't want to blame too much on the uplift situation, not getting enough practice because a lot of guys were kind of in the same boat. But um, I just felt like that run that I did in qualifying, I should have done the day before and worked the kinks out of, but I didn't have enough time on the track to get up to speed and do that. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of like missing some lines and jumping stuff to flat, as I said, like trying to get backsides on some of these things and carry good speed out of the turn i felt like i wasn't doing it you know i was i was blowing i was jumping the bike to flat off of drops i was hitting my ass on the back tire i was squaring off turns and just kind of like riding sloppier than i wanted to and then my splits were decent i think i was 20 something at the first split 30 something at the second split and then just faded pretty bad at the bottom i think the the finger definitely played a big factor into that so ended up missing the cut by a second, which I was, I was just really disappointed, like in myself, because I could have done it. My speed was okay. Um, my, my riding just wasn't good enough in that run, uh, my execution. So, um, yeah, I was just kind of bummed to miss it, but I, in hindsight, like there was a lot of stuff that was making it more difficult and yeah, maybe I could have just, I don't know if it would have been the better thing to just not race. Um, like it didn't look good for my program that I'd spent so much time putting together to, 
to, to do that in the first race. Um, but I think, I don't know, it's my mindset to just show up and do the best with what I have. So I didn't even consider I not racing. I was just whatever I can do to get there, take my finger to the bar and, and, and ride was what I was going to do. And I think that going to the race and, and getting all my setup there, getting my pits done, getting my mechanic and Swanier and myself, like working together at a race is, is putting me in a much better spot for the next one, because we've already done everything and kind of gotten that first one out of the way. So yeah, I have not a good result to show for it, but whenever you're doing something new, like you, you're putting yourself in a vulnerable spot and, um, I don't know. I'm not afraid to have this failure and start off doing bad. Like I didn't expect to come to the first race and blow it out of the water. So you got to start somewhere. And, um, yeah, unfortunately it wasn't a good result. And ma mainly just the disappointment was from my own riding. Cause I know I could have made it in and then improved on the next day, but yeah, I just didn't execute well enough. And, and that's racing, you know, that's, that's, uh, I signed up to take this bike and race it at the world cup, which was never going to be an easy task. So, um, yeah, uh, just going to learn from it. And I think if I can show improvement through the season, then that's the important part. So got a big break to Fort William. And as I said, like all that stuff is done now. So I'll be able to focus more on riding and training than getting all this stuff together for the first race. For sure, man, for sure. Let's, uh, chat a little bit about the junior racing, unfortunately, no live feed for us to watch it, but the, the competition appears to be pretty strong. I think it's worth mentioning that the last time we were in Lords, there was only three women racing juniors, and this time there was 14, which is awesome to see. So there's a strong future there for the for the women's side of the sport. And the winner of the women's category was Gracie Hemstreet, uh, which I think a lot of people kind of weren't aware of, but I saw her ride out at Windrock, and she looks super good on a bike. She took that win by over six seconds. It's... Uh, Pretty impressive, eh, Elliot? Yeah, man. Like, kind of saw her a little bit at Crankworks last year um, during that Canadian series, and she was riding super well. And, like, she got a 330, and top five in the women in the elite was a 225 by Marine. So, yeah, like you said, like beating everyone else by, you know, over six seconds. Um, Phoebe Gale, Isabella, like I know that she had a little bit of an injury, but I think the women, the junior women's category and the women's category as a whole, like it seems like the women are actually almost like improving at a higher rate than the men's. Um, like everyone is taking their time sound, but if you look at like the gap between like the top women and the men, um, it's definitely shrank over the past couple of years and, and same with like the junior women category where like that has shrank incredible, like huge, you know, like for the, for the junior first place, junior woman for Gracie to only be a little over five seconds behind a podium in the elite women. Like we wouldn't have even thought about that. Like it wasn't many years ago where it was minutes off. Uh, so it's super cool to see. Yeah. Good stuff. Looking forward to seeing how that category pans out. And then Jackson Goldston, just everything, every bit of coverage I saw of him, he had the biggest smile on his face. Looks like he's found his like his home within that syndicate group. Super comfortable on the bike, taking the win by I think two point eight seconds. Nika, did you see much of him on track during the weekend? How is he looking? 
he was he was riding in the uh the b practice so i i didn't see much of him honestly i i didn't see much of anything other than that parking lot that i was waiting in to get in the lift line but he (laughs) (laughs) he looked really good um whenever i saw videos of him and i think something that's really noteworthy for his run was that lords especially that mountain is kind of like on the dark side of the hill pretty shady in the morning and there's always a lot of moisture that comes out of the ground it's early season it's cold at night and the the course in the morning is always slippery it didn't rain at all but just moisture coming out of the ground and dew on the on the rocks and grass much slipperier in the morning than it is in the afternoon and his time was super fast i think would have been what 10th or 11th in elite um and he he rode in a lot i would consider worse condition with uh slippery rocks and and stuff like that when he raced compared to the other guys that went five hours later when the track was much drier so i think that's super impressive considering yeah definitely one to watch exciting stuff but let's let's uh, chat a bit about the elite women's racing. And I think Miriam Nicole had a pretty heavy crash in the morning practice session on race day, Elliot. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I can't remember exactly where she crashed, but uh, Tracy had a couple of pictures and like her helmet was, um, yeah, like full of dirt. I talked to her after the race and she, yes, she said that she was super banged up. I think she got a little um, concussion and, you know, got checked out and everything afterward and so yeah like it was not not a joke i think fascinatingly enough i um in qualifying so qualifying actually was like a race like there were so many fans on the track and it was it was huge but miriam came down and she said that she was like oh that was like a perfect run um and i got second in qualifying and she, you don't really see her get super frustrated, but she like came down after qualifying, looked back and just like kind of rode off. Um, and so she was saying that it's so much harder to have that, right? Like you have a really good run and you, you know, you don't win, like the time's not there or whatever, rather than, you know, making a mistake or something. Um, so I think in final, she was able to, even with kind of being beat up, being a little out of it or whatever, being able to come back and then get that, get that second and then being first at every split, except for the last one. Um, I think she was pretty, pretty stoked to have the weekend end up turning out like that. It's like one of those things where you, the end result is a second and it looks good, but she actually had a bunch of mental hurdles. She had to overcome physical hurdles with the crash and stuff like that. So I think she's going to be dangerous again this year. For sure. But that, that race run she put down, I mean, she's looked very dominant for the last year or so, I guess, but it looked like she felt like she really needed to push in that race run. it was pretty wild. And I guess that comes from, you know, that feeling that she had from qualifying. Do you think there's yeah. a risk of her kind of going too hard? Cause I guess she almost, I mean, she very nearly didn't make it to the bottom on that run. Hey? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Miriam's one of, one of those people who, like he talked to her and she seems so chill and so nice, but like she is so competitive. She's so, so competitive, wants to win so bad. Um, so yeah, I think you're right that like she didn't want that to happen again. Uh, same thing that happened in qualifying where you put down a good run and it's like not good enough. It's like not a good feeling. 
Definitely, definitely. And the competition was fierce, man. There was a real level of commitment shown in the riding of a lot of the top top riders in the men's and the women's categories over the weekend. That winning run from Cami Belanche looked actually pretty controlled, though, and I thought she looked really strong on the bike. Do you, do you think she's a threat for the oval this year, Nico? I think she always is. She's she's a very consistent rider, and it seems like she always is able to make it happen when it counts. Um, I know she probably was having some mental struggles through the weekend. I talked to Emmy a little bit and she was like, not sure if she had it or not on this course. And then when it comes down to the final run, she's able to put it together and deliver and, and build through to the last split and, and make it happen. So she's uh she's a real competitor. And, and I think that's such a skill when, when people can just do what it takes, make it happen and come through in the, in the race. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think she was on the V5 Commensal and had only had a few days on it as well. So potential for her to be even quicker when we turn up at Fort William. I think they're coming over to the UK for some testing. So that'll be interesting. And then Valley Hole seems to have kind of matured a bit, maybe. Like uh, she went hard at it last season and it, it didn't pay off for a while. Okay, it all worked out nicely in the end, but a lot of crashes in race runs, early doors. It seemed like she was keen to kind of show what she could do, but not at the expense of making it to the bottom in one piece. Maybe a bit more happy to kind of build this season. What do you think, Elliot? Did you have a, a chat with her? Yeah, I think it was almost the opposite story of Miriam, where she came down in qualifying and won and was like, ah, oh, like, yeah, like seemed like a good run, but like not that good, you know, and definitely have more. And, you know, she was really happy, really upbeat. Uh, talked to her a lot kind of about that. I think over the off season, kind of the theme for me was um, everyone doing a lot of mental work um, because I think that that's where everyone struggled the most the last year or not, I, not everyone, but um, I talked to a lot of people that were, that were saying that, like Finn said that Valley was kind of saying that where she was like, yeah, did all this work last year during the season to figure out how to, not put so much pressure on myself, you know, not, I came out of juniors thinking I was going to win everything. And then I didn't <laughs> and realized it's really difficult to win like elite races. Um, and so she said that in the off season, she kind of just rode with, rode with friends a lot. Like you rode, rode with Noga and hung out with her and stuff like that. And so she had this great result in qualifying. And then in finals, she was just saying, that she just didn't have it. Like that was a good, a good run for her. Like nothing really happened or anything like that. Like just didn't, she was just super disappointed in how she rode. Um, so yeah, like it's always interesting when that happens. Like you can feel, you can feel great after, after qualifying and, you know, something maybe just didn't click. Uh, and I guess that's the difference between, you know, winning, winning a world cup and getting, um, what was it? Fifth or sixth? You wonder if that would have been the opposite. If, if she had gotten beaten the qualifying run and felt the pressure to come out the next day and, and step it up a notch. Like sometimes that getting beat, like what happened to Miriam was what she needed to come out the next day and, and really push hard enough to win. So interesting how that can kind of play out in the two different situations and the mindset going into finals. Yeah, sure. Totally. 
Yeah. And Tani seemed happy with her third place after a, a tough couple of years of injury and, and things going on. So hopefully that means she builds confidence and, and pace throughout the year. So it's good to see her back in a good spot. And also great to see Marin Cabaru back riding with kind of the aggression that we know her for after a, a broken back this off season. So I think more to come from her throughout the year. So um, an exciting race. Definitely a shout out to Mathilde Bernard as yeah. well in sixth. She um, she came from BMX and like seeing her at Crankworks a little bit, you know, doing the like obviously like super fast on the pump track and slalom and stuff like that. But now pretty crazy to like come out and beat, you know, Nina Hoffman, Eleonora, Monica Rasnick, you know, Veronica Whitman, like all of these really, really fast, really fast women. And there, you know, there was a bit of a jump from like fifth to six, like what, five, six seconds. but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that she, yeah, she can definitely um, do something pretty amazing, and she's super young as well, uh, just a year year older than Valley. So, yeah, good stuff. It was interesting, interesting racing for sure. Let's um, let's cover the elite men before we hit the top few. A few kind of shout outs that feel deserved. Cade Edwards slotting into thirteenth after spending most of the afternoon in the hot seat, and he also had a few decent crashes over the weekend. I think so. Clearly, not just a free rider, huh? Dude, the man was ripping. <laughs> In practice, he was looking so good. Like whenever I saw him come past, he's just pulling up off of stuff. Like this is a slippery course. Guys are trying to get the feel for it, see what line to take. And he's just like pulling up off of everything he can, shrouping the turns. Just he's so skilled on the bike. Um, my brother said he had a video of him in his qualifying run coming across the last bridge, pulls up a manual halfway across the bridge and just rides it completely off the end of the bridge and does a toboggan and lands into his qualifying run. Like the commitment to go off of that huge drop on your back wheel is so gnarly. Like just the skill that the guy has is crazy. And you would think like if he could just do that and, and get bad results would be like, yeah, there's a lot of guys that could do some of the things, but to do it and then also have the speed to lay down, a run with the top boys is amazing and yeah i think we thought of him as a free rider for a while but he's like he's actually getting real good results in elite now so he's kind of the full package and i think you know he might build into being even better than he is right now i could see it coming yeah they they spoke to him on the hot seat i think he spoke to g and he said he was just look like looking to build steadily into the season so if that's Cade starting off a builder of a season that's pretty good taking 13th at the first round Totally. And then Antoine Vidal, a rider who's, I guess, more well-known for enduro, sticking it into ninth. Do you think we'll see a bit more of him in DH, Elliot? Yeah. I, you know, I, I like don't know very much about him at all. Like I, I know he comes from enduro. Like when you talk to, when you talk to a lot of the riders, especially like kind of the French scene, they talk about how good like, technically he is. So yeah, I'm interested to, to kind of learn more and see him ride a bit. Uh, but he always looks super good on the bike, like super, super good. Yeah, a ninth place in that pack is uh, is not bad at all. And then we can't not mention Taylor Vernon, uh, someone we've not seen a huge amount of on the World Cup scene for a little while. I think he was riding a three-year-old bike, turning up as a privateer from work and sticking it into 19th. Nico, I'm guessing you've got even more kind of respect for the, the privateer side of things this season as you're you know, doing everything for yourself with the team, uh, how hard is it to deliver those kind of results in that situation? 
Yeah, it's amazing, dude. I was really impressed by him. Um, and, and especially like last year, he didn't have the best results. So to come into this year and kind of change your mindset and believe in yourself and make it happen like that is just such a cool page to turn for him. So pumped to see him up there. He deserves it. He's a really nice kid. And um, like he's just there with his dad helping him, which is cool to see an effort like that get such a good result and ahead of guys on those huge factory teams with the big trucks. So props to him for sure. Yeah, really good to see. All right, we can't go too much further without talking about Amory Piron. I mean, injured fairly badly from qualities by the sounds of things, but he seemed pretty laid back. I thought it was awesome seeing him having a nice little cuddle with Tebow up at the top of the hill on the live feed there. Like, nice to see that they can be taking things that relaxed coming into their race runs. And that run, I don't think it was 100% clean by the looks of it, but wow. I mean, that was fully committed and well-deserved, Elliot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it totally, it, I'm, it's interesting to see what makes people perform. Um, and it seems like being in France is something that every really like loves. Like it, it, this run kind of reminded me of his Leger run a couple of years ago, um, yeah. where you're just like, holy cow, like maybe not quite there but even still you're just like what in the world and um it was kind of the same there like he emery talked a lot about the crowd all all week just like in qualifying he's like man that felt like finals um you know just having people yelling your name and all of these things and so he feels it's kind of like i think he does well when there's a lot of emotion like that you know you have your team you have the whole week you have like um, all of these things that I can't remember who it was, but maybe it was, I was talking to someone and, um, they were talking about his foot or whatever, you know, and maybe it was Max, um, Comensal and, uh, he was like, Oh, like a, he was like a, a injured animal is dangerous or something <laughs> like that. Um, and so like, obviously, Yeah. He was dangerous. That's a good, <laughs> a good way to describe him. <laughs> it, it, I don't know about you guys, but it felt to me watching this race that the level of commitment at the top has stepped up yet again this season. Did you did you get that feeling? Yeah, and I think the conditions had a lot to do with it. Like by finals day, it came around okay. to where that the grip was good on that track, and you could trust the tires. So guys were really pushing into stuff as hard as they could because they knew that it, the bike was going to hold. So um, I think that it just, it was just a perfect track to show the commitment. And a lot of times on TV, you don't see it come through when there's a ton of slippery roots or slippery rocks. And you, you, you can kind of, you watch on screen and you're like, oh, it doesn't look that impressive what they're doing. But this, this track with the dirt being so good and guys really being able to push it, you could that that came through really well on the broadcast. Yeah, it definitely did. And that result from Finn feels kind of ominous to me. That's the best season opener he's ever had, his best elite finish. He looked very, very happy with that at the bottom, even though it didn't put him straight into the hot seat. Also, one step ahead of low, it can't be a bad thing for him. Elliot, what did you, what did you think? It's been a long time coming, but that feels like a really good spot for him. For sure. I mean, like I feel like from the beginning of the week, uh, on practice day when I was talking to him, 
I was like, this is, this is like Finn's weekend. Um, and I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have been surprised at all if he would have won. Um, I think I mentioned kind of the mental work and he had said, it was actually fascinating because in the Red Bull YouTube videos, um, we were kind of like building the story and we're talking about momentum. And one of the things that we were talking about was like, how do you come out of last, the last season uh, into the next season? You know, if you do well, like do you carry the momentum? If you do bad, is it kind of going over your head? And for me, um, and I think for a lot of riders, like that last race kind of sets the tone and you're thinking about it a lot through the off season. Um, and so then I went and talked to Finn and I was like, Hey, have you been thinking about the last race and the, you know, you did well, like podium, whatever. And he's like, no, not at all. Um, and he was like, you know, I've been working with this mental coach and we've been really thinking about how do we put these races behind us? Um, and you know, move on. Like, how do we be in the now? Not thinking about the next one, not thinking about the last one. Cause last year, like he, he's just so competitive. And I think, I think a lot of people think about him and Loic being super competitive, um, together or like there's this rivalry, but I think both of them are just crazy competitive in general and they just happen to be close to each other or whatever, you know? Um, so obviously like Finn was like, yeah, like obviously I want to beat Loic, but like, I want to be everyone. Um, and so I thought it was so fascinating that he was able to kind of work on that because so much of last season and the last years, you would see him make a mistake or come down and he would just be so upset with himself. Um, so to work, kind of work that out. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, I talked to Loic and I was like, you know, you, you won the last, uh, you won the last overall have you been thinking about it all? And he's like, every day <laughs> like it, it plays over in my head or whatever, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting to kind of like see the mental attitude of people because I think everyone trains really hard. Um, everyone, you know, does a lot of testing, but it's kind of like, where are you at mentally? And Finn was just on fire. It felt like this, this week. Yeah, super good to see. And yeah, let's talk a bit about Loic. I mean, fastest qualifier, race run looked crazy committed and quick, but not quite there. Maybe a couple of little mistakes, but he's won the overall from way far, way further back than this. Um, maybe not a bad opener for him, Nico. No, I think it's great. I mean, Loic always has somewhat of a build or a steady burn through the season. So taking all the points in qualifying and then getting a third place is is a great start. And I think he'll be he'll be there every weekend and Amari is is super fast and committed but in the past has had that that one race that kind of maybe he he gives up some points so it'll be interesting to see how this this plays out for sure but I think it's a great start for Loic and he looked great on the bike he um his, his everything as always with those guys looks top notch so I think it's a yeah success for them and for Loic yeah, I I thought it was um I think this is maybe one of the most disappointed I've ever seen him um after a race. And I talked to him behind the podium and I was like, What it like what's what's up? Like why why are you so disappointed? He's like, Man, I just I want to win in France so bad. Um and I think that that means like he's never he's never won in France. Uh, and so like, yeah, to have like that vibe 
and all of, uh, all your friends, all your family and stuff like that. Like you could see when he came across the line, like you could see when G was interviewing him and like, he just kind of had this dejected look almost, which is crazy to think about that. It was, he got third or whatever, you know? And so I think it was, it's less about like that. He was disappointed in getting third and more about like, I just really want to win in France. Well, he's got Leger world champs to yeah, uh, roll totally. the dice at this year, so <laughs> he could take the big one for sure. Benoit Coulange, can't not talk about him picking up kind of where he left off really last season. Dangerous, dangerous man. Again, another rider that I think had stepped across onto the V5 common style pretty close to that race and maybe hadn't had a huge amount of time on it. Made it look pretty easy. Another impressive performance from Benoit, right? Absolutely, man. He looks he looks so good on the bike. Um and just a committed dude, like watching him ride all weekend, he was ripping. Um, and it looked like he made somewhat of a mistake in the middle of that run through that grass section. He, it seemed like he gave up a little time and then was able to bring it back. So, um, to start off the season like that, I mean, it must be a good feeling to know that you got on the podium and, and still had a little bit more in the tank. So, um, yeah, awesome for him. And I think, yeah, just those guys, like if you looked at the results from qualifying and, and the final, like, the amount of French flags up there was, was huge. So they had to be, um, feeling, feeling a little bit of home court advantage and it was cool to see him take advantage of that. And he's just one of those dudes that's like steadily right there all the time and backing that up at the first race this year. So cool to see him. Definitely. And another rider that dist- disturbed the kind of French sweep of the top positions was Lucas Shaw, fifth place, brand new bike, brand new team. Big off-season move for him. That's impressive. Her Nico must be happy with that. Yeah, I think he's he's super pumped. Like that was an awesome start to the season for Luca. And I mean, I don't think he thought about it too much, but I'm sure he was stoked to beat all the guys on his team from last year. I think that was definitely <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice little uh, little bonus for him. But yeah, he looked great. His run looked looked really good, um, and I'm sure he's he's pumped to start the season that way. Um, and hopefully keep building from here. Definitely. And you mentioned the syndicate, Laurie Greenland looks like he settled in pretty well. He looked comfortable on that bike and uh, trying to build into the season. I guess I don't think he was necessarily happy with eighth, but that's a pretty good start for him. Hey, Elliot? Yeah, for sure. I, I, uh, one of the coolest things that he talked about to me was how a bunch of the dudes in the UK were going around to different people's local track and doing races. So he like, went to um, Langollen and, you know, it's like Joe Breeden, Charlie Hatton's like local spot. And, uh, you know, he was saying that Joe put down this like insane time second run and took him like all day to <laughs> kind of beat it. And uh, so I thought that that was cool. Like, I think that people are like kind of working together a lot more. Um, and Laurie kind of in that like UK scene and Wales and stuff like that. And he seems to, I don't know. He seems to like the team. The team vibe is 100% different. Like Kathy's not there. Laura, the physio is not there. Um, Steve is doing a lot of the kind of team manager part. They moved to Fox. Like everyone's wearing the same kit, uh, Fox clothing. Um, and yeah, like the, there's like a uniform for the team. Yeah, <laughs> so it's just like a track walk uniform, right? <laughs> yeah, they had a track walk uniform. Like, yeah, like all the, everyone's in the same. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, 
And it would be, right? Like the only people that are there from the previous year are Steve, Lyle, Greg's mechanic, and Greg. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a big change up, right? But totally. all the mechanics are mates from Morzine, I think. So yeah, like, right. they it's knew like, each yeah, other. And, crew. Totally. Yeah. 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 So yeah. And Nina, and like, I think it's good for Nina. Like she, she really, uh, she was like, this is crazy. Like I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be this big of a deal. So, um, yeah, I think she's loving it as well. Yeah. It'd be good to see. And we'll talk about Greg maybe in a bit, but before we do that, two riders that were clearly very capable of top times that didn't quite manage to put it down on the day. Thibaut de Prella got a bit pinballed off a few trees there. Luckily he got away with that. And Loris got caught out with a, a big slide on an inside line, uh, after the road gap. Is it hard to see past mistakes like that and kind of walk away and take the positives? Because both of them were, were, you know, they were there. They were on pace. Um, and Loris, to be fair, was even still lighting up sections after that crash. Is it hard to to kind of move on from a race like that? I think it's definitely disappointing. Like a lot goes into that first race and a lot of excitement to start your year off right and set the bar where you want it for the season. And yeah, it kind of feels like you're digging yourself out of a hole when you don't start off the year on the right foot. So, um, they're both amazing riders and I think they'll be able to put it behind them and, and come back swinging for sure. But, um, I'm, hopefully they use it as some motivation for the, for the, the break and the next race and not, um, be bummed out too much because they both had the speed. It was just didn't come together. And, um, you know, when you race so often, there's going to be races like that. So I'm sure they'll both get back to it. Yeah, it was a good save from Loris, to be fair, to still get it down into 12th. Like he's minimized any damage there on the point side of things, isn't he? For sure. Yeah, good effort. It, it feels like even with all these team moves, new bikes and off season, things kind of picked up where they left off, right? There weren't really any massive surprises in those top names for me. Were there any riders that kind of stood out to you guys that have either maybe like stepped up to above where you'd expect to see them or, or drop back in the order a bit? I think it looked like Mr. Minar had a bit of a rough weekend, but I, um, I was looking up the stats for him and he's only gotten a top 10 one time in the past seven years or something. Okay. Uh, on the first race. Yeah. So, like Nothing yeah, to worry that's about not a good result for him, but also like kind of normal for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, yeah, I was like looking through the results and there's not too many people who uh I guess you you have like some of the, the like top names a little bit further back with like Mark Wallace or a Brooke. Um I know Aaron crashed in in practice, I think is that right? Before qualifying, yeah, his last run. And it in looked practice. like a pretty last run in pra- last run in practice before before qualifying. qualifying or yeah, before qualifying, he said that he was like finally feeling good. Like even just ten seconds before that, like man, I'm I'm riding the way I want to again, and then just slammed that. I saw the video that he put up of the crash, and it looked pretty bad. So that definitely, I'm sure he was yeah. sore and deflated his confidence a little bit. So. Um, yeah. hopefully you can turn that around. Yeah. But Dakota put the bike into 11th. So the speed's there on that, on that bike for sure. I guess like it 
it's uh, yeah. going to be interesting to see Aaron back. Matt, Matt Walker looked a little bit more his usual self, I thought, maybe. Like, I think he had some struggles mm. last year, maybe felt some pressure coming in off the back of that 2020 overall and, and didn't quite get his head around all of that. But he looked, he looked pretty confident, stuck it into 10th place, looked like a nice tidy run as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he, he seemed like he was in good spirits as well, like when I talked to him. There wasn't many... There wasn't many people like just thinking about like the conversations that I had, there wasn't really many people that I felt like were, were off, you know? Mm -hmm. And and sometimes that happens. Like when you show up to the first race and you're like, don't feel ready or whatever that is. Like it, it felt like everyone had a pretty good off season. I don't think they were, there was like a couple of injuries, but you know, not too many really huge ones and things like that. Like, you know, you had like Baptiste Perrion, like he came back and rode amazing. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm happy. It was like a really good first race, you know, no big, huge crashes, not a bit, a lot of injuries or anything like that. So I felt like it was nice. Nice start. It felt like a great season opener, like really exciting racing fair for everyone. Like it was a level playing field. The weather didn't mess anything up. The track looked incredible. Yeah. As a spectator and a fan of the sport, it was, uh, it delivered for sure. So what now? And we've got seven weeks until Fort William. I think uh, it sounds like quite a few riders are going to be coming to Scotland for some testing. And there's a, a British downhill series round on the track. Uh, not, I think it's maybe th- two or three weeks before the World Cup. So I, I think we'll see a few people at that. But yeah, what's everyone going to be doing with seven weeks? Nika, you, you're uh, a man that likes to keep busy. What's What's going on? I'm pretty stoked that I cleared my schedule for the next month. So all this build up to the first <laughs> season, getting this stuff together was definitely a lot of work. And, um, all that's done now, all the logistics, um, got everything over to Europe, got it set up and ran through a race. So uh, happy to not be worrying about that. Got my bike, my bike, I thought worked great. I think from here I can do everything I need with shock tune and, and, and that way. So, I'm just stoked to have a, like, I, I can't remember the last time I had so much time at home with no trips and no to-do list. So I'm stoked to, to just build on some solid training and riding and sleeping in my own bed. And, um, I think a lot of riders are going to be doing that, like taking what they learned from this first race, um, pros and cons and building on that, this, this break, because it's rare that in the season between two races, you have enough time to implement like a real change. Like if you're like, Oh, I could be stronger at this, or I would like to test more on this. You normally only have a couple weeks and you can't, you don't have enough time to really do something major. Whereas here you could have learned from this first world cup and, and have enough time to really do something. So it'll be cool and interesting to see how riders come back at the next race and see if any results change. I mean, the hard things with all this is, yeah, you can make uh, make some some positive gains, but so is everybody else. Everybody else has better bike than last year. Everybody else has become fitter and stronger and as much better as you feel, then so does your competition. So it's cool, and it's cool to see the evolution of the sport that way. Definitely, definitely, man. And the next round is in Fort William. I'll be there so we can do this thing in person, which is always way better. Maybe. Um, and two years off from Fort William, so... It's going to be hopefully plenty of fans there. I think the French have upped the game on what a busy World Cup looks like. So Scottish fans are going to have to go for it and uh, bring plenty of noise-making kit with them. I'm excited to see that. Um, But before we sign off today, Elliot, we need to uh, 
announced the lit kit winner for round one. It was a fairly strongly fought competition. I think I might know where you end up with this, though. What do you think? Oh, I, I think I might. Um, yeah, I might. I might surprise some people. So, honorable mentions uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for sure was like Canyon Team. Um, Tawny like looked great as always, and then um, Trek Team and like the all white. Miriam was running all white as well. That looked great. But I think I'm going to have to go with the Union team. They were okay. just running like it was super simple, like yellow, like yellowish and and blue. Um, I think everyone's kind of been going to this really like and not a lot of logos as well. Like they have like Union and Fox on the front and like really clean. So I thought that was cool. Like I thought it was really different. Um rather than like going super far in the like wild side it was like thought it was sweet nice good stuff and uh, i'm sure people will bring plenty of fresh kit for fort william so we can roll the dice on that one again but yeah thank you guys it's been really good to get the first race done super excited for the rest of the season great to get back on chat with you boys as well and uh, look forward to seeing you in seven weeks in fort william <laughs> all good yeah thank you see ya, see ya. All right, that's it for this episode with Elliot and Nico. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thanks to Maxis for supporting this season. Maxis have incredible tyres for you no matter how or where you ride. So head over to maxis.com or visit your local Maxis dealer and check them out. I'm currently running the DHR Max Terror in the back and the DHF Max Grip up front. And I'm finding that's a really great combo for me at the moment in these kind of mixed conditions where it's definitely not summer, but we're not in the full slopper winter. There's a few other links that might be useful to you. So downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe will help you make sure you don't miss an episode. Forward slash shop enables you to support the show by getting yourself some merch. And forward slash EP if you need a copy of the first issue of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. As always, spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's everything for now. We've got some more great episodes coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. (laughs) 